Good morning. This is Tom O'Clock again with The Father's Heart. I have a dear friend of mine that I haven't talked to in a while named David Maddox. David Maddox and I go back many, many years, probably as much as 25 or 30 years. We've had uh, children go to school together in the same Christian school. And uh, David is a businessman, uh, not only a domestic businessman, he was in the mortgage business for many years, uh, but he's also an international businessman in Africa. So uh, one of the reasons I asked uh, David to join me today, uh, besides us being good friends, is the thought that uh, David is the, uh, the father of many children. He's kind of like Abraham, you know, the father of many nations. Well, David's got, uh, I thought, 15 kids. Before we had this conversation, he told me I was one off. It's as many as 16 children. So uh, with that brief background of David being a businessman and a friend, David, let me... Um, turn it over to you and allow you to describe yourself for a few minutes to our audience. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate you having me on. I, I always enjoy speaking with you and listening to you and enjoying this, uh, this little adventure that God's got you on with your books. And uh, as for me, uh, grew up in Northern Virginia, uh, got married young and uh, to a woman who had two children and I adopted them and then we had 10. So that was the 12, and then um, that uh, we had a, had a minimum crisis type situation, and I tried to tried to save things uh, after about 20 years of marriage, but she didn't want to, and so I ended up getting a divorce, which is not the most fun thing to admit on a Christian podcast, but it's part of reality in life, and uh, so. I got married again, and, and my my second wife uh, has already ha already had four, so I've got the twelve and the four. And uh, stayed in Northern Virginia, but lots of travels, and uh, enjoyed very much enjoyed preaching, which is really what took me to Africa. But uh, raised the kids with a missionary heart, and it was a lot of my goal. Got a chance to to do business over there too. Well, Dave, you certainly believe in the dictum, the biblical dictum, to be fruitful and multiply. Well, I think that it's important to be a doer and not a giver. <laughs> <laughs> we also appreciate your transparency and uh, uh, to the audience um, and your authenticity about describing some of your background, even though uh, you know some people don't have a negative thought about divorce or anything like that. It's it's part of life that people experience and. And to be willing to uh, be transparent like that in our conversation is something that I th I'm sure people appreciate. Well, I think when we're talking about being a father, one of the most common feelings of all a mother, for that matter, or any other any other role that we play in life where, uh, you know, it, it matters, it's important, is the sense that we, we haven't done it perfectly and that we're a million miles away from doing it perfectly. And, mm -hmm. I can't. My mother was in it remains. She's alive today. A tremendously wonderful mother, and yet I've probably heard her a thousand times. She's on now. She feels that she's done so many things wrong. And while I try to comfort her about that, the truth is that we've all done. We all have done a lot of things wrong. And uh, getting, you know, knowing God accepts us in the midst of our failure and, and walking, walking as best we can from here. Is a lot of what the whole trick is about, it seems to me. How do you manage in life when you're feeling discouraged? Right. You know, one of the things that uh, strikes me when you're talking about that is that 
the closest I've been able to get to my six children, and I even practice this with my grandchildren, even though they're younger, is I tell them, let's go into a judgment-free zone. And we go for walks and says, a judgment-free zone, there's nothing you're going to say to me that I'm going to uh, judge you for or accuse you for. So it's, it's judgment-free. It's kind of like being in Las Vegas. Well, I, I think that's tremendous, but, but don't you find that there's some people that, uh, that, that, that don't know how to handle that, they, they might even agree to that, but then, they, but then they flip on it. If they don't really know how to handle the information in their mind, it may take them someplace that's painful or, that's, or makes them angry. Or, that's true, um, but I'm just saying it allows me from my end of it as a father to tell them I'm not going to judge them. Agreed. They may judge me back, but I'm not going to judge them going out. Right. And you and you find it relatively easy to keep that promise and they grow to trust it and so that it's, 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 it's really in a safe place. Is that right? That's exactly. You used the right term. I think trigger words are very important. You said create a safe place. Creating safe places in our relationships is essential. We need to create those safe places. Because essentially, and you have a psychology background, I think, and you realize that the two major things that happen in people's lives are either start when we're babies, it's either going to be pain or pleasure. So we find uh, pain in places that are not safe. I mean, I'm talking about emotional pain now. Um, and if we find ourselves in a place that's emotionally painful, we need, we've got to escape. We've got to run away from that place. And... Uh, if that's a place in our relationships, no matter who it might be, it might be with our wives, it might be with our, you know, those who are closest to us. If we don't feel safe with them, uh, we're going to run away from that, that experience. Do you think that people run away from God because they're afraid that it might not be safe? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that is uh, foundational to what the enemy tries to put into people's minds. He, he tries to tell people, uh, God's going to punish you. Uh, you were bad. God's not going to uh, like you because you done bad things. So the the idea of uh, God, um, and, and that's where a lot of in churches, unfortunately, uh, teach guilt and shame. The guilt and shame come upon people and people don't feel safe uh, in the thought or concept they have of God. And they do run away from him. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think that that's probably a, a universal experience. And, but to me, I think it comes down to uh, how to reconcile the fact that there is punishment, there is um, sometimes places that we pay for our failures, there is chastisement from a loving father, and how we discern that we're being chastised versus uh, punished as a, you know, a retribution type thing, or, you know, sometimes I think we interpret the difficulties that the world and the flesh and the devil bring to us as, as being, as being from God, how do, how do we distinguish, uh, what's going on, whether God's mad us or whether we're blowing it or whether we're just fighting the good fight and we're supposed to hang in there. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a personal experience about this. Okay. And actually, I learned it from my oldest son, Zach. You know Zach. Uh, when he was a little boy uh, and he did something wrong, uh, I spanked him. when He couldn't have been only like four or five years old. 
maybe six, but more like four or five. And I spanked him. And then uh, I, I always told him, I said, now I love you. And I'm not spanking you because I'm angry with you. I'm spanking you because I love you. And that's I used to teach him. I always said that to him before I spanked him. So after I spanked him one day, he said, Dad, thank you for spanking me because I know I did something wrong. And I appreciate, uh, I, I appreciate that you gave me a spanking. How do you like that? that's very healthy and very good. I think uh, the thoughts that come into my mind is that sometimes the our children may think we're patronizing them if we tell them what to do or we, you know, we're giving them declaratory statements when they get older. But the more we can ask them and say, what do you think about this? And solicit their, their opinions and their responses, even though you know what the answer is before you ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely uh it's not paid it, it really um elicits from them um uh thoughts and it also honors them in a way that's uh, very constructive for the relationship well you're very good at that i have noticed that about you you've got you're a little bit more of the introvert you're a little bit more of the extrovert but in in your and you, but you do an awful lot of one-on-one -on -one as well as, as, as the larger groups and and I got the feeling, you know, sitting with you at your table, at your dinner table, that, you know, conversation was pretty comfortable, pretty easy, and had lots of dynamics to it. Would you say that a lot of that is about how you ask questions? Yes. Yes. And, and the questions, by the way, uh, it, the wrong type of question is a manipulative question. The right type of a question is an open-ended type of question. You know, you don't want to ask them a question where you want them to say yes, you know, <laughs> yes or no. You want to ask them a question that leaves the door open for discussion. 
So if the uh, table, if the, if the dinner table maybe was a little bit icy because somebody was angry or uh, somebody just just uh, got some bad news or somebody's in trouble because they did something wrong or they got a problem with their girlfriend and you don't really want to talk about it or any number of reasons why the conversation might be a little bit difficult to come by. How would you approach that at the dinner table as the dad? Well, I, I would ask them, first of all, do you want to talk about it? Get, you know, is you honor them by asking an open-ended question. Would you like to talk about it or not? You know, you want to get permission. Um, and they say, well, no, I don't really feel it. I'm, I, I'm hurt, too hurt right now. I, I, I got too much things in my mind. And I said, fine, you know, we don't have to talk. You let them off the hook. They don't have to talk about it. I think the biggest issue in life in these relationships, besides honor, really, is giving people freedom. You know, my middle name is Francis, Thomas Francis Clark. Francis means freedom. And I always think, give the people freedom. And and part of giving people freedom is giving them options. Don't you think that there's an awful lot of the church that is pretty hyper-focused on just making their kids be good instead of, isn't there fear and isn't there apprehension involved in the business of where their minds might go if we give them freedom to think for themselves. That's right. That's that's true. I mean, it's tr so it's not true. It's, right. it's an accurate description. No, we're all all afraid sometimes that our children are going to make terrible mistakes, and we really, really don't want them to. Um, it's an act. I shouldn't say it's true. I wish it better to say choose my words carefully. It's a, you're giving an accurate description of the reality in the church and in places like that. Uh, however, it's not the truth. The, it, it's, uh, it's a distortion of what's true, but it, it's an accurate description of the reality that we experience. Um, I will say this. Uh, I went to a Jesuit school, and one of the good takeaways out of going to a Jesuit school was Jesuits are great teachers. And they had the philosophy of teaching down Pratt pretty, pretty well. Uh, and their philosophy started on this foundation. I'm not going to teach you what to think. I'm going to teach you how to think. So I've always brought that up with my children. I said, I'm, going to teach, I'm not going to teach you what to think. I'm going to teach you how to think. Then when you disagree with me, then I'm going to teach you what to think. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I picked up from that type of education, if you take that philosophy, I'm not going to teach you what to think, I'm going to teach you how to think. One of the courses I remember taking, uh, at, I went to Georgetown, and um, one of the courses they said, uh, what, we want you to do your research on the original source information. The Library of Congress is here in Washington, D.C. Go to the Library of Congress and find out what they actually said, as opposed to reading a textbook and somebody's telling you what they said. You know, there's so much in life we get in, we get um, 
uh, how should I say, par uh, information parsed to us and presented to us through somebody else's uh, prism or, or, or way of thinking, where that was not originally what they say. And God only help us. We see it in the, in the, the news media. Everything gets filtered through something else saying. But e even great historians basically distort the truth to some degree. There's always some bias involved in the process of their thinking. Uh, but if you want to go back to the original, uh, what the original founding fathers, for example, actually said in the original writings, get that information, get that data, and, and read it yourself, as opposed to hearing what somebody else said that they said. You understand what I'm saying? That sounds almost like you would, you would challenge the Calvinists to actually read the scriptures and not just, uh, just the writings of Calvin. Well, yeah, it's true in anything. I mean, it, it, it affects um, all of our thinking is affected by the things that we hear, right? Think about that. Things that we hear or things that we see. In other words, through our five senses, we take in information. When we're taking that information, is it coming direct from an original source or is it being filtered down through some other filtering process? <clears throat> so taking, taking that back to the business of being a father when you uh, have a problem, uh, say you've got a child, maybe an adult child, uh, that's, that's off, off on their own in a prodigal son kind of a way, uh, and you don't know what to do, uh, do, you, do, you just, do you just stand by the person and look out every day to see if you might find him on the ride. Do you uh, go chase him down? What do you do? Okay. I actually had a situation in my life with one of my six children. And uh, he was not living a good life in a lot of different ways. And um, I, um, I met a pastor once. It was a black pastor. And he... Uh, gave me some advice and his wisdom and buried in the advice. Um, the pastor said to me, you know, when he was younger, he was on drugs and other things like that. And uh, he learned something that he felt I could use with my son. So he said, as a father, go into your son every time you meet him. But my son was living at the home at the time, even though his life was a wreck. Uh, he said, just tell him you love him. And it's, it says it's almost going to be like a Chinese water torture. You know, have a Chinese drip water on your forehead every day. <laughs> you say, right. I just, I want to let you know, I love you. And then walk out. There's no argument. There's no discussion of your behavior. It's just nothing. Just, I love you. Eventually, the child turns. The, the prodigal son in the story, in the scripture, he, he came to his senses and went back to his father and his father just completely embraced him because he was his son. He, he didn't hold any of it, the behavior against him. Right. And that's how God is with us. See, we have to know that we know that we know that we're loved. We have to know that we know that God, our father, loves us. We could murder somebody. We could be, try to be the, the worst person you could constantly think of or the worst behavior you constantly think of. And we have to understand that God still loves us. 
doesn't mean there isn't going to be consequences of that, but that's another part of the story. The key, the key is that he loves us. And all the judgment that should belong to whatever behavior is, he has taken care of through his own son. The whole uh, reality, the, old, the whole truth in the scripture of Jesus dying on the cross, taking all the punishment that we should be ours, and then having a resurrection and that new life. And that is given to us. So we don't pay the price for that. Uh, for what we should be, you know, the judgment's already been paid for. God is still a just judge. And as we get back to the thing you were saying before, how do you reconcile the two issues? One of the issues is he, he is a just judge, but he's, he's arranged to pay the price for um, that which was done wrong. And um, to understand that in the depth of our, of our being and in our, our spirit, that God loves us is the basis and the foundation on which people turn around. So, so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do instead of who we are. If we focus on what we do, we're basically following a philosophy. Of, our value comes from what we do. That's a form of existentialism. And I don't want to get too heavy on the philosophy after this thing, but uh, you know, we've been taught a lot in our culture about where value comes from what we do, and that's not the truth in Scripture. The truth in Scripture is where value comes from who we are and who we say, who God says we are. What do you think about that, Dave? Well, it sounds like you're saying that the, the idea that God's love is not conditional on our, on our work is, is, is really... Uh, we can't skip over that, right? If that actually that actually matters that we believe that, because if we don't really believe that he really loves us no matter what, then we're how are we gonna know it's safe? Right. Getting back to your example of the prodigal son, as natural fathers, it's incumbent upon us to be willing to show our children that we love them no matter what. Exactly. No exactly. Um, we get to redo that every day. I can say I've forgiven everybody in my whole life and yet for the rest of my days, but I still have to walk that out. That's true. That's absolutely true. You know, do you remember when Donald Trump got elected in 2016 and in January of 2017, right before the inauguration, there was a woman's march on Washington, D.C.? And uh, all the women wore those pink hats. Right. And it was Madonna and Ashley Judd with two of the leaders. There was tens of thousands. Of, you remember, okay. I was watching it on TV. And when I watched it, God spoke to me. And he said, do you see all those women out there? I said, yeah. He said to me, they don't know their natural fathers. And they don't know me as God, their father. And they don't know my love for them. That's why they're behaving this way.
it was one of the thoughts that came to me to realize um, when I, in the back of my uh, children's books, I wrote the story of why I wrote the children's books in the first place. And it comes from a place of saying, how could I be a better father? Well, uh, as a better father, I could have, God spoke to me and said, you could have helped them with their fears. And I said, well, how can you help them with the fears? Because they're already grown up now. And he says, you could help with grandchildren. The, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, connection, which is what the books are about and what the podcasts are about, it's a connection that starts with a connection with God, the Father. If we don't have that connection, we can't find out who we are. Um, in a story, the boy who found his name, Luke the Lightbearer, takes a boy who didn't know who his name was, and he takes him up to God the Father, and God the Father sits him on the lap and teaches him. In each one of the stories, all 12 of them, Luke is going to take the light bearer is going to take children who have different fear thoughts to God the Father, and he's going to teach them the truth. And in teaching them the truth, that's what sets them free. That's overcoming fear uh, is um, quintessential to all of our lives. Every, everything that we see, you know, you could convert us all over to the the political uh, impact of politics, it seems like politics is involved in every aspect of our society right now. And our culture is affected by politics. But if you look at what's driving the bus behind um, all these political things that are happening and the election fraud and so on and so forth, it all is driven by fear. And that, to the extent that people have fear in their hearts, um, they can't connect. They can't connect with God. They can't even connect with other people. Any thoughts about that, Dave? Well, it seems to me like you're you're pointing out that the, this whole business of, of fear versus faith isn't just it's, it's not just a doctrinal thing. It's it's a practical thing. If we, Absolutely. If we don't genuinely believe Absolutely. that God cares about us, then we're not going to be able to be connected to Him because we're not going to be feeling safe to be in prayer and to be sharing our hearts with him and allowing him to share his heart with us so that we can be really be the branches that are connected to the vine and Jesus' life can live through us and, and we won't conceive the fruit of the Spirit because we're, we're one. Yeah. But 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 I, I wanted to just say that I had that Luke, the light bearer story of yours. I had a wonderful experience, I told you. Uh, but with the book was you'd given me the book and it was sitting in the back seat of my car and my grandson who was named Luke about seven at the time uh, we were driving someplace and uh, we were actually ready to get out and he said I want to read this book and I said okay I didn't even know what book he had and so he proceeded to read it read the whole thing as he and his I think his sister and I was sitting listening to it and it was just a tremendous moment. We we got to talk about it, and it was, you know, it was. Uh, I think he could relate to it because he's got an evangelist heart. And so it was, that was just a lot of fun. But but yeah. I think the biggest point, biggest takeaway from all of this conversation to me, and, and I'm reminded that it's going to help me meditate today on the fact that it's the business of God that leads us to repentance, and if we don't. And we, and we do have, we do make a million mistakes, and we do fail a thousand ways, and I'm not all about calling people sinners, I think that if they're the Lord, we're changed, and we're having a new nature, and we're not 
we shouldn't call ourselves sinners anymore, but we still think that the, the reality of our failures in the past and, and, and is present, and we've got to keep coming back to trusting that he loves us and that that love is going to change us. And that's really the only way to, to change, right? We can't tough it out and do the right thing by ourselves. It's dead, right? Right. You know, there's a wise man once said, when the enemy comes and uh, tries to uh, uh, bother you by reminding of, of your sins of your past, remind him of his future. Mm. You know, uh, which you actually bring up another point, uh, something that has come out of me in terms of prayer and my communications with God, my father. Uh, he's really been impressing on me the thought that I need to be present with him. It presses on, don't think about your future. You can't do anything, I'm sorry, don't think about your past. You can't do anything about your past. I got your back covered. Whatever you did wrong, I'll, I'm taking care of that. Just be with me in the moment. Be present with me. So um, a lot of our mind and, and, and a lot of the battle we have with uh, evil spirits is basically in our minds. And then the battle in our minds, we're spending a lot of time thinking about our past, we think about the future, and we're not, we're not, we're not spending any of our life energy in the moment. And it's in the life, in the, in the moment is where we live. You and I are having this conversation in the moment. We didn't have it in the past. We're not going to have it, you know, 10 minutes from now. But in the moment and being present in the moment with you, which I really appreciate, and then involving, uh, the Lord in the moment with us, particularly uh, the Holy Spirit, Ruach Kadesh. Um, when one time I'll give you another conversation I had with him, I said, you know what, I want your presence, Lord. And uh, I was talking to God the Father. And he says, well, you, you have my presence with you always. I said, how do I have your presence all the time? And he said, Holy Spirit, Ruach Kadesh, the breath of, the Holy Spirit is my breath, Tom. The Holy Spirit is my breath and my breath exists within you. And I thought, once I thought about that, I realized I could always be present with the Lord because his spirit is always with me. I just have to connect to it. And the more we practice that, the easier it gets. Yeah, that's true. It gets to, gets to be a habit. That's true. Well, listen, um, I think some of the takeaways from our conversation over the last half hour, what would you uh, say to our audience you think are the, the takeaways that they could take from this? Well, throughout the half hour, I, I, keep, I keep remembering something that I, a counselor told me. I went to counseling for a long time trying to save my first marriage and then well into my second marriage because I didn't want to make the same mistakes, and I believe that counsel is really important to establishing purposes. And one of the most profound things that I heard him ever say in all those years of counseling, a great Christian marriage counselor, Dr. William Clark. Um, Good last name. Ah, <laughs> great last name, uh, McLean. Uh, he said that some parents want their kids to be happy. And some kids want their parents want some parents want their kids to be good, uh, but but really you got to you got to 
avoid either one of those two pitfalls on pitches on either side of the road because the real goal is to help them grow up. And that's going to involve them making mistakes and not being good, and that's going to involve them not being happy sometimes. And if we if we just go to the business of people pleasing to make them happier, if we just go to the business of trying to force them to be good, we'll run off the road. Huh. And so that, that kind of stretches out, helps helped me over the years to be at peace with the idea that it's a process and we can't just do it all, in, all of a sudden in the moment. Well, the benefit I think that people can take away from listening to our conversation is that um, they can connect with God, their father, and connecting with God, their father, uh, is a process of developing a relationship. And that is what faith is all about. And that relationship helps them overcome any fear that uh, the um, the enemy may have planted or probably did plant into our minds. Whenever we have fears existing in our minds, it disconnects us from God and other people. Whereas whenever we have love and truth in our minds, it connects us with God and other people. And so the end goal of all these podcasts is to bring connection. Uh, with that in mind, I would like uh, to offer people to uh, see these podcasts on Charisma Podcast Network. The Father's Heart. I also, you can uh, pick them up on um, uh, Papa Tom, www.papatomstales.com. This is my podcasts and blogs, as well as my first book. And the second one will be out in the first quarter of 2021. And uh, you also can pick up the book on Amazon if that makes you feel comfortable. It's in the, in the bookstores, on Amazon, and on my website. So thank you very much. Take care.